Good morning. Welcome to Bethlehem Lutheran Church, where God has called and gathered us here this day to receive his gifts through his word and his sacrament. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Consider my affliction and my trouble. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are the God of my salvation. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. O guard my soul and deliver me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Turn to me, and be gracious to me. Consider my affliction and my trouble. The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after Trinity is from Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, anointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, 
having ten silver coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Consider my affliction and my loneliness. It's not an easy thing to invite other people to do, is it? We are often embarrassed by our afflictions, especially if they're of our own making through our sin. And oddly enough, when we are feeling lonely is when it's most difficult to invite other people to spend time with you to try and alleviate that loneliness. And part of this is that we often do not wish to be a burden on other people. And of course, if it's difficult for us to do for people who are here, who we know and we see, it's even more difficult when we invite God to see our affliction and our troubles and our loneliness. And part of the reason for that is that we know that God is perfect. And we know that ultimately, all of our afflictions are a result of sin. Perhaps not necessarily a specific sin that we have committed. Maybe not even necessarily a specific sin that anyone has committed. But nevertheless, afflictions, suffering, loneliness, problems, they're all problems in this world because sin is in this world. And we are afraid of the perfect God looking at our sin. And rightfully so. We know how God feels about our sin. And therefore it can be scary to ask him to look at the results of our sin. But it is only when we consider that sin and we repent of it that we can then ask for God to consider our sin and to forgive our sin. Listen again to our introit for today and hear this call out to God to consider our affliction. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. You are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. 
Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Let me not be put to shame. That request shows up twice in our intro it for today as kind of bookends to the body of it. And it recognizes the truth that shame is one of our greatest fears. And there are so many things that we are ashamed of. Perhaps on the easiest level to examine and recognize is that we are ashamed of our sins, our mistakes, and our failures. We are embarrassed by the things that we have done. We are afraid of people finding out about our mistakes and our failures. We would be ashamed if everyone in this building knew all of the things that we have done wrong. And that's just the easiest level. We are also ashamed of our weaknesses and our struggles. As bad as it is when we make mistakes unknowingly or when we accidentally fail, or even when we sin without recognizing it. Perhaps it's even worse when we know that we should be stronger and yet still sin. When we know that we're struggling with something and we do our best to avoid it and we fail. Perhaps even more shame, even more embarrassing than our sin are those times when we do know better and we still do it anyways. But perhaps even another level is that we are often ashamed of our faith, our church, and even our God. We are embarrassed about some of the things that we do that other churches don't do. We are ashamed of some of the things that God says in his word that do not go very well with what everyone else is saying nowadays. There are even times when we are embarrassed by some of the things that our God has done in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Times when he does things that we don't think he should. And that, too, is a shame upon us. So, then, what are we to do about this shame? And perhaps even more importantly, 
Will God let us be put to shame like this? Hopefully you all know the answer to that question. Of course, he will not let us remain in this shame. But how did he deal with it then? How did he take this shame off of us? Because it is most certainly there. How does he combat this shame and afflictions that are upon us? He did this by taking on the most shameful and afflicted position in all of history. First off, he who is God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, chose to limit himself and become a human being chose to humiliate himself and become one of us, taking upon himself the humiliated nature of a human being. But even more so than that, even more than just becoming one of us and living here among us, he took on the role of the scapegoat. As you may remember from the Old Testament, the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement was the goat that the high priest would transfer all of the sins of Israel from that year onto and then send off into the desert to be destroyed by the devil. Christ did that for the world. He didn't do it just for Israel. He didn't do it just carrying one year's burden of sin. He took upon himself the shame, the guilt, the iniquity, the sin of the entire world all at once. And in doing so, became the most shameful person in all of history. And he didn't just get sent off into the desert to die. No, he got hung from a tree, crucified on a cross, which the Bible makes clear that all of those who die on a tree like that are cursed by God. Christ did all of that, took all of the shame upon himself, took all of the curse upon himself in order to ensure that we would never need to be ashamed again, that you would never need to be afraid of God again. Our God knows what it is to be afflicted and lonely, to have problems and to be ashamed and humiliated. He knows what it's like, and he saved us from that. And we also recognize the truth that if God lets we, who his son died for, 
be ashamed and afflicted. That that would bring even more shame upon his son. And the father will never let that happen. But even more so than that, even more than just God creating some sort of legal loophole for us to jump through, through your baptism and through Christ's baptism, he made you members of his family, his children, the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Can you ever imagine in a million years the father allowing his sons and daughters to be put into shame forever. Or the son who died in order to make sure that you don't need to be ashamed, letting you live in shame and fear for all of eternity. Of course not. Which means that we are free and can be confident in asking him to consider our afflictions and loneliness and to forgive our sins. Because we know he already has. Because we know that he knows what it's like to be ashamed and afflicted and lonely. For he died on a cross with the shame of the entire world upon him, utterly alone, forsaken even by his father, all to make sure that you would never have to experience that. To make sure that you could be confident in approaching your God and asking him to consider your afflictions, knowing that he won't punish you for them, knowing that he won't bring you greater shame for them, knowing that he will forgive you for them because of what his son did for you. That's why we're Christians. That's why we lift up our soul and trust in him. Why we're willing to wait all the day long, to wait even for our entire lives for him. Why we take refuge in him. Because we know that he's the only safe harbor in this entire world. And that's also why we share this word with others. Why we share this truth with others. Because no one needs to be ashamed. No one needs to be afflicted. No one needs to live this life in fear of the sins that they've committed. Because Christ died for all of them. And we get to share that with all the people around us. Trusting and waiting for him who we have lifted our souls up to. Knowing that he will come for us. And that when he does, any shame that we might be temporarily experiencing, all of our fears, all of our sorrows, all of our loneliness will be ended forever, just as our sins are forgiven forever, as we get to live with him forever into eternity 
in the new creation. Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.